Right, I'm going to do a, um, an exercise this morning and I want us to... Um, I've seen this, um, I've seen this, this was done a few years ago. In fact, I did it myself, I met five or six years ago here. Would that be right? And I got so much out of it last time, I thought I'd do it again. Um, and so, you've got to work with me. We're going to be a passage on the um, script on the screen there. This rope here represents a tangle. <laughs> <laughs> This rope here represents your life, okay? Can you just um, keep, keep feeding it around, okay? There you go. Keep feeding it around. Everybody can grab hold of it. Take it around. So as you're doing that, I'll just pray, eh? Father, we do. We thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you that you are the mighty God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Master the one who rules the universe, the one who's got eternity in his hands, the one who has always been and who always will be. And we thank you that you love us, that you love us, you care about the most intimate details of our life. And we bless you for your goodness and your grace, and we thank you. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross and the resurrection. And Lord, we pray that this morning as we explore a little of your word in this exercise that you'll speak to us, and that will become better children of yours because of what we experience and we learn today. Amen. Okay, so this rope here can go, you can't cross the line though, eh? I mean, <laughs> it's the last thing we do. But you can keep, keep passing it around, there's plenty there. This, um, yeah, there's, plenty, there's certainly plenty here. Yeah, you can watch, you can watch here. Look, I'll make it meaningful for you as well. Okay. All right, there you go. So this rope represents your life and it represents my life. But don't take too much. You'll drag me off the stage, all right? But the overriding, the overriding voice of our culture says that my life stops here and that your life stops here. Not a lot of consideration for the life that goes beyond this, but that stops here. Now, there, are, there is a sense that we have that life does go on. And sometimes there's a desire in our heart that we will live forever, you know, and sometimes even for the most irreligious of people, there is this kind of ache inside, maybe with the loss of a love, that's it, thank you. Don't take too much. <laughs> Sometimes, I, look, I never knew you could be so rebellious. <laughs> Sometimes, even with the most irreligious of people, there can be an ache that life does go on. Sometimes, perhaps it's with the death of a loved one. Or maybe uh, a young father who's uh, holding his precious firstborn for the first time. And there is this something inside that says, yeah, look, life is too precious for it to stop at 70 plus years. Life has to go on. And, that, and of course, then we have a, an inkling that some people have that they're just going to live for any, ever anyway. And there's an interest in, in cryonics or cryogenic suspension. 
And that's when a part of you or your cell structure or your body is frozen at a certain temperature until science advances enough to bring you back to life again. That's interesting. Viv just went out last week to Noel Lemmings and bought a big freezer. <laughs> and, uh, except she wants to freeze me before I die. <laughs> and that, that sense that life does go on past this point, this inkling that some people have that life is more than 70 plus years, this desire that we have to live forever is a response to something that God has put in our hearts. In fact, Ecclesiastes says that eternity is written in the heart of man. And C.S. Lewis says something like this. He said, if I find in myself a desire that no experience in this life can offer, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And that is true. Just speaking to someone a few minutes ago about the fact that we're going to die and what happens after that. But C.S. Lewis says that. And one of the things that, just thinking this morning, in a few weeks' time, we remember and we celebrate the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, where the very barrier here was broken and the doors are opened up so that we can experience life eternal. And yet as a culture, the loud voice is still calling us to be obsessed and to be fixated with this part here, isn't it? You know, am I going to make enough money here, have enough investments to tide me over so I'm going to be okay here? Do you know what I mean? And occasionally, occasionally life kind of unravels, doesn't it? Or we can have a crisis about here. A crisis is when the man goes out and buys a sports car. What does a woman do in a crisis? She, she gets her nails painted, eh? <laughs> but, but, but stuff happens in life. And life happens so, life here happens so quickly, doesn't it? I mean, no sooner had my pimples cleared up that my hair began to fall out. I only had two days between, I only had two days between being acne free and going bald. Two days when we to find a lovely woman. And I did. It's a very short mating season. <laughs> but we get obsessed with this part of it, and that's our fix it, but very little thought to what happens here. Isn't that right? We're engrossed with this part of our life. And we, we accumulate stuff, we experience stuff, we want to go places. And if we're told by a medical professional that the line is coming up real fast, we make a list of all the things we want to do and the places we want to go before we kick the bucket. And then we get adverts on TV that tell us, well, when, when this final line comes, when we do have a funeral, we better make sure we've got enough money to pay for it. So there's insurance covers, all that sort of stuff. It's all about here. You know, one of the reasons I love Jesus, and one of the reasons I'm engrossed with the Bible, is that it introduces me to a story that goes beyond this point. A story that goes beyond the point where I contribute, where I'm a participant. A story that... The God of this universe, the master of this universe has 
produced a large drama, if you like, inviting him and, and, and just asking me to come into this story where life goes on forever. If you like, if you remember back to some of the times I've spoken last year, I've talked a lot about this part of life. Remember in Matthew chapter 19, we talked about um, the phrase that Jesus used when he was talking to his disciples and he he used the phrase, um, in the renewal of all things. And the Greek word, it means palingenesia, which is a new beginning or genesis again. And how there will be a time when everything starts again. There'll be a time where there'll be, not just for the cosmos and our world as we know it, but a time for us individually. No more weeping, no more crying. No more sin. You know, can I digress for a little on that, on sin? Because I used to think, you know, wouldn't it be great to live in a world where there's no murder, no lying, no cheating, and no stealing? Then I thought, what about me? I went, I was at the um, Silverstream landfill a couple of weeks ago. I backed my tip trailer in to dump some rubbish off. And another guy backed in beside me in a newer trailer, and he got out, I, I said, hello, how are you doing? He was quite arrogant, didn't want to talk, and he just went to tip his trailer up, and I tipped mine up. And I, I found myself thinking, oh, the hoist on his trailer isn't as big as the hoist on my trailer. <laughs> really, I did. The ram, the hoist, the hydraulic ram on his trailer was not as big. What? A, and I kicked myself, oh, God, what am I doing? What am I thinking? And so sin, sin is such an insidious thing, you know. My worst experiences of sin have been at the Silverstream landfill. I can assure you. You might think I'm a good person, but you follow me one day to the tip, you'll soon find out, you know. But it's, look, can I, can I imagine a life, a Trevor, where there is not a scarab of anger, not a hint of pride or jealousy, not a hint of sexual lust? That's what it means to live in God's world without sin. It's me. Perfect. And we're told that in this world, of course, we, the, the world that is being made new, that there is a, a prerequisite for us, that we have to be made new as well. And that's when Jesus talked about being born again. The fact that we're, the way we've been born the first time was, was okay physically, but spiritually we're lacking. That we need to be born of the Spirit. And that's why we need Jesus and his life within us, restoring us and making us new in order for us to experience the new life. I talked also about the fact that, I remember I used a picture on the wall of um, a a, a Narnia movie, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, where the, the, the children in the Narnia movie are looking at this picture on the wall and it's a, it's a ship on the ocean, and all of a, slowly the ocean comes to life. And then the water spills into the room, and the, the children are drawn into the painting, drawn into the story. And Jesus draws us into his story. Can I just have a bit more rope so I can read my notes, please? <laughs> if not, I'll be getting off here very quickly because I'll have nothing else to say. All right. You get where I'm going, don't you? You with me? You with me on this? You 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 are right. Yeah. All right. Let's look at that passage again. Can we just um, we'll read that? I'm not saying that I have 
this all together. This is by Paul. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Now, Paul started this church as a result of a dream he had. I think it's an Acts 16 or something. He has this dream. Someone comes to him and says, hey, listen, come and start a church in Macedonia. So he does. But Paul starts this church, but he's writing this letter when he's in prison. And, he's, and it's a very encouraging letter he writes. This would be like Dino writing us a letter from Rimataka, you know. Can't be with us in jail for, for nothing other than um, people not agreeing with his religion, okay? That's all he's in jail for, writing us an encouraging letter. This is what Paul is saying. I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong, by no means do I count myself an expert on all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. And and I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. See, there's a goal. He's, He's running towards something. Now, from the wisdom of Paul to the wisdom of the Peanuts cartoon. How many of you remember Peanuts from years ago? Charlie Brown and Lucy are talking about the meaning of life. And Lucy says, you know, for some people, life is like a cruise ship. For some people, they unfold their deck chair and put it on the back of the cruise ship to see where they've been. And then she says, for some people, life is like unfolding your deck chair, putting it at the front of the cruise ship, and you see where you're going. And that is so true. Life can be like that. We sometimes, I know a lot of, of counselling, as far as I know, I'm not conversed with counselling much, but a lot of counselling apparently has to do with looking back to see what has moulded you and what has shaped you as a person. But Paul is saying here, don't look back. Don't look back, look forward. Look forward to what Jesus has. Look forward to the goal and what Jesus has for you in the future. Now, look, I admit I... I've, I have a heritage that we've all been affected by our past to some extent, greater or lesser. And I've been affected by my, my past, my family as well. We have a, you know, I come from a strange family. I really do. There's lots of, there's lots of if, you were at my, if you were at Dad's funeral, you would have seen a little snippet of the strangeness of our family. <laughs> hey, Right? And, I mean, I love, I love my family, but you know, in all credit to Dad, he, he, he journeyed a course that went, that kind of appreciated and acknowledged some of the aspects of our heritage, but walked kind of different as well. And he took me in that direction too, and I appreciate that so much, especially since I've seen some of my generation, old previous generations. We had a family reunion in, in um, when was it? October last year, yeah. And I wasn't going to go, but I was asked to MC, so I had no choice but go. <laughs> so <clears throat> I started off by saying, folks, some people think our family's crazy. Some people think we're crazy, but I just want to tell you we, that insanity does not run in our family. Rather, it has taken a slow journey through influencing everybody on the way. <laughs> and you know what? No one laughed. <laughs> now, either they didn't get it or they were offended. You know. <clears throat> but I've chosen not to be formed by my past. I can acknowledge my past, I can appreciate my past, but it does not shape me. 
you know. And my father was like, Dad was like that. You may have heard him tell the story that when he was six or eight years of age, as a student at primary school, a teacher racked him over the knuckles with a wooden ruler and said, Hudson, you'll never make anything of your life. And that stuck with him. He had to fight against that. I remember, you know, when I was at, uh, some of you would have gone to woodwork down at the Trentham camp, taken down on a bus on a Wednesday morning to woodwork. Woodwork teacher said to me, we used to, we used to have to plane a piece of wood and, and, some, and you had a pencil mark at the front that you weren't allowed to knock off or plane off the bit of wood. I kept on planing it off. And he said to me, Trevor, you will never make a carpenter. <laughs> and every time, now I, I do a lot of woodwork now, and every time I make a bit of woodwork, I mention his name, I said, there you, you go, yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Or <laughs> <coughs> words to that effect, you know. But some of you have, I don't know, experiences and stuff in your past where you may have to take your deck chair from the back of the boat and put it at the front. And stop looking where you've been and start looking at what you're going, this here, where that goes. Okay. Put your mind, put your eyes on the goal. Focus on the goal. Keep your eye on the goal. And that's an ath- Obviously, he's using the illustration of an athlete, always focused on the goal. Never looking back, and that's what we're doing. And for me, that is probably the most important principle I've learned in over 50 years of following Jesus, is not to look back, is to look forward to where I'm going, look forward to this here, what what lies ahead, focused on the goal. Not looking to what's behind, forgetting what's behind, looking forward. There's a couple of ways that that we can do that, I think may make us a little bit, um, give us some practical notes on that. So look, can we look at 2 Corinthians 4, please, Robin, the next one? Yeah, cool. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. There are two undeniable realities about this passage. And two undeniable realities about life as well. Well, three, three realities if we include taxes. Firstly, we will waste away and we will get older and our bodies will creak and groan and our legs will f- cease to function as they should. And secondly, we will have trials and we'll have problems. We'll have difficulties. There'll be pain, there'll be suffering and there'll be loss and there'll be grief. But I've found a really practical way in which focusing on the future, focusing on what is ahead can help me as I walk through the difficulties of life. Now, I've found that when I, when I look at what is ahead, when I understand what the Bible says about the future and my inheritance that is to come, that pain and suffering and the grief and the loss does not go away, but the unanswered questions that we all have, because those things invoke questions and mystery about life and about meaning and about God, don't they? I've discovered that I can live with the unanswered questions, with the mystery of life and the unknowns when my focus is on here. And I don't just, when I say live, I don't mean exist or just get by. I mean live abundantly well. Leave, live exceedingly well when my focus is on here and not just what I'm experiencing here. You with me? Okay. Now, when, 
when you're focused on here and when you understand that this barrier here has been broken and, the, and death itself, which is the very, the very obstacle that each of us will face, when that has been broken by the resurrection of Jesus, and when we face the unknowns and the questions and the mysteries of life, that when our focus is here, that grief and joy can coexist. You with me? It doesn't take away the grief. I mean, it's, only, it's 29 years yesterday that we faced our loss. And it still hurts. Painful. But when this is your focus, when you know this is coming, grief and joy can coexist. Now, I'm not saying that we're living in a, a kind of a mystical, ethereal world, or we've kissed our brains goodbye and, and we don't ask those questions. We still ask those questions. But God somehow makes a difference in our life and restores something here in our hope and our knowledge of what is to come. All right? Cool. Okay, let's move on. Have I got enough time? Are we running out of time? We're okay. Okay. Can we move on, Robin, please, to Matthew chapter 6? Now, just as, just as um, 2 Corinthians deals with uh, what it's like when we lose, when we grieve, when we have pain and sorrow in our lives. Matthew 6, uh, Jesus is addressing what it's like when we have everything, when life supposedly is going very well. And he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. In New Testament times, people uh, didn't have um, financial institutions in which to put their valuables. They, if they had uh, minerals or you know, metals or, or coins, they would normally hide them, dig a hole in the ground and hide them, bury them. Or the other element of value was often textiles and very uh, luxurious materials or furnishings. They would, be, they would hide them under the floorboards or in the attic of the house where the moths could destroy them. And so what Jesus is saying, your treasure that you have here, don't, don't put it there because that's where your heart will be. If that's where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. But if your treasure is in heaven, that's where, if your treasure is in here, that's where your heart will be. Now, I know that, I think it's um, Psalm 73, the psalmist says, I, there is no one in heaven but you, no one on earth I desire besides you. Now, he is our treasure, of course, but Matthew 6 and 7 goes on and it talks about some of the treasure, how we're to kind of invest in this part of life and not just be concerned about this part. Now I admit, we all have stuff, don't we? I mean, we, we, all, we all accumulate some stuff. It doesn't mean that we don't have anything. We, we do, you know, but the extreme is, a, is a, a picture I saw once of three grown men, three grown men in suits, 
drooling or salivating <laughs> over the bonnet of a new Mercedes in a car sh in a showroom. <laughs> you know, it was. And then to think that ten years later, the same car is on trade me, probably finding it difficult to sell. You know, we we can we get caught up in our consumerist world, filling our life here with stuff. When Jesus says, if you do that, that's where your heart will be. But if you invest here, if this is where your treasure is, your heart will be there as well. Isn't that right? We get caught up in a consuming culture. And I, look, I live in a world where I run a business in a world that you're sometimes dealing with people who are, who are like that. You know, I mean, I had someone a few years ago in their office who said, looking at a kitchen and they wanted granite bench tops and they said, we don't, want, we don't want granite from India, we want granite from Italy. And okay, I said, this may come as a surprise to you, but do you know that granite comes out of the ground? <laughs> it doesn't matter where it comes from, what country it comes from. Oh, is that right? Okay. But they didn't want Indian granite, they wanted Italian granite. Another couple who had to have toilets that were Two and a half thousand dollars each. And I said, What's wrong with a six hundred dollar toilet? Does the same job, you know? <laughs> so to speak. <Yeah. laughs> um, so stuff, we just fill our stuff and that becomes our treasure. And that's where our heart is. And no good our heart being here. Our heart needs to be in the kingdom, in the forever world. As I've said before, you never see a hearse with a tow bar. Because there's no need to carry or pull a trailer up to the Ekaterra Cemetery. It's true, isn't it? In Second Timothy, it says we we come into the world the same way as we go out with nothing. And that's true. You never see a baby crawling out of the room carrying a suitcase. You ever seen a baby dragging a toy box out of the room? You know. We come into the world the same way as we go out, nothing. And yet we fill our life here with so much stuff, so much stuff. We're obsessed by it. We wake up thinking about what we've got and what we haven't got, what we're going to get. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And our heart needs to be here. Now, C.S. Lewis made an interesting comment because I think some people, I've come from a, a background where sometimes people have said, oh, if you're too heavenly minded, you're of no earthly use. <laughs> I think actually if you're heavenly minded, if you're eternity-minded, you are of earthly, earthly use. C.S. Lewis said this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most in the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. Two questions as we finish off. Where is your focus? Where's your focus just on here? And with little thought to this, has this become the, the kind of the, the obsession of life? Or have you become engrossed with what is to come? Second question that we need to ask ourselves, where is our treasure? Is our treasure here? Where moth and rust can destroy? And, or is it in here? in the kingdom of God forever that will last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it makes 
makes life with you so real. We thank you that you've shown us the way to the future. You've shown us the way for a life ahead that makes so much difference when we, when we focus on that, makes so much difference to our life here in the here and now. And we pray that, Lord, as you bring change to our lives in a, in a way for, that, we, that we look at eternity, that it will make a difference to how we live today and tomorrow, this week and this year. So, Lord, be with us, we ask. We just pray that as we focus on you, focus on the time ahead, focus on what you've got for us as far as eternity is concerned, that indeed, Lord, you would begin to shape our lives for better today. In Jesus' name, amen.